Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So here's uh, the question I want to start with, and this could lead to so many emotions. So just, you know, don't yell anything out. Um, But what's the thing that you think of like top of mind when you hear the word Christian? Like what what do you hear, what do you think of when you hear the word Christianity? Like for some of us, super positive, you have great, um, you know, stories of flannel graph and potlucks. Um, as unsanitary as those were. So this is like really good memories. Others of you, maybe bad memories. Um, Maybe there's even hurt or anger. But what do you think about, what's the first thing you think about when you hear the term Christian or Christianity? Um, For a lot of us, um, there's kind of a brand of Christianity, which means like a style, maybe it's a denomination, maybe it's something that we grew up with. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit of my story real quick. And part of this is going to sound like I'm making fun, and I am, but it's fine because my dad was my pastor. He's good with all of this. Um, We've joked about it before, but I grew up in a brand of Christianity that we thought the Southern Baptists were really, really liberal. Like there was something wrong with those people. And, and maybe that's not even funny to you, like, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know where you're coming from. And then the people who used real wine with their communion, like, man, what's wrong with you? Like, that was crazy. Um, we had kind of some crazy rules that some of you are gonna recognize. Others of you, again, are gonna think I came from some weird alternate universe. But we couldn't go to the movie theater. Uh, so in our brand of Christianity, that was just not allowed. Now, you could bring the movies to you. That was allowed. There's a loophole there uh, via VHS tape. And I'm not going to ask how many people know what VHS tapes are, because that'll be um, depressing. And then rated R movies, that's not even, you know, on the table. That's, that's not even a question until loopholes, uh, The Passion of the Christ came along. And then everybody, you can actually go to the theater for that one. So we got around that. Um, the other big one, again, and it's not just to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but like tattoos, like th- those are the people in the community that needed Jesus. That's actually one of the ways that you could spot them. Like <laughs> our mission to go into all the world, like there they are. And, and then when they did come to know Jesus, that like you need to wear long sleeves. Like you need to, your life needs to be transformed. You need to cover that stuff up. And so, and we'd rip, and this may be for some of you. This is just, um, this is a side note real fast. We would take a verse in Leviticus 1 out of context. Um, and we would apply that to everybody because it says tattoos because we tried to take the original Hebrew and apply it to English. And we thought it meant the same thing. Um, it actually meant bodily mutilation in idol worship. So for some of you, maybe it's why you came today. This is the message. You thought you've been living in sin for the last 20 years. You're good, unless you've been... <laughs> Um, practicing idol worship and mutilating your body in worship to that idol, you're, you're fine. It's not the same thing. So that's, you're welcome uh, for that. Um, I'm trying to think of what other ones. Uh, I'll I give you one other one. Um, the Simpsons. We weren't sure if you were a Christian, if you watched The Simpsons in my brand of Christianity. So um, to quote Nate Bargatze, like 90s Christian 
was the most Christian. Like it was more Christian than any other decade or early 2000s. Like there was a lot of rules and it was a whole thing. And so I don't know, that may not mean anything to any of you, but that, that was kind of the brand of Christianity I was coming from. And there was a lot of positive with that. And then there's just some weirdness with that. And in our current culture, 2023, there's a brand of Christianity that most people um, identify with specifically on the outside. And you don't have to like this or agree with this. And you might think this is unfair. I'm just telling you it is what it is. So this is, and I want them to wait before they put this up here until I'm ready. But there's a brand of Christianity that would summarize this way. And I just want to, before I get um, DMs, I didn't make this up. This isn't me going, oh, this is, this is, if you were to look at Barna Research or you could just, any other one that you want to look at, this is me summarizing among um, many in uh, increasingly post-Christian culture, those who would identify a lot of them as nuns, which means non-affiliated religiously. This is how they view the, the Jesus movement in the West or in the United States particularly. I know some listen outside the United States, you have your own context, but this is how um, many in our culture view Christianity. And before I get there again, the statistics are sobering about even over the last decade, how many people have left Christianity, how many have left the church, how many want nothing to do with the Jesus movement. And in many cases, this is their view. They view Christians as judgmental, homophobic, political, moralists, who think that they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Now, I didn't make that up. So you're like, oh, that's unfair. Maybe. I'm just telling you that that's the predominant cultural view and the numbers are staggering. There's no numbers that you can find in terms of data to go, well, that's encouraging. None of it is up and to the right in terms of the church, the Jesus movement or Christianity in the West. And I get, there's usually a couple sides of how Christians react. They're like, oh, we're just being persecuted. Mm. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, Rome was much more hostile to Christians in the first century. You should study that. And what is fascinating is that by the third century, the Christians had actually won the favor of the Roman Empire. So I don't know that, that you can really go with that. Like, I don't, you're, many people around the world are being persecuted. You are not. And then the other, like, I, I think big, um, and I get this all the time. I hear people like hit me up with this um, statement. Well, well, we shouldn't be like, if we're standing for the truth and the culture shouldn't like us. If we're standing for the truth and the culture shouldn't like Christians. No. No. The only problem with that is a guy by the name of Jesus. Yeah. Because all throughout the New Testament, and again, don't take my word for it, go back and read the Gospels if you've never done it, or get, get Morgan Freeman on audio, he's amazing, but go listen to him. And here's the thing that you'll find from Jesus is that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus in the first century. And Jesus liked them. Like just newsflash, the people who persecuted Jesus were religious leaders because everything about his message threatened the balance of power in terms of the ancient religious system and in terms of you know, their country. It had nothing to do with the things that we think it has to do with. People love Jesus. My favorite parts of the New Testament are Jesus about to give a message and it says in very specific detail, all the sinners and the tax collectors were on the front row. Couldn't wait to hear from Jesus. Jesus rolling up to Matthew's house going, man, we're eating with you tonight. And all the religious leaders peering through the window going, this guy eats with sinners and tax collectors. And I don't think anybody who takes Jesus seriously would say that Jesus lacked truth. In fact, John described the fact that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He didn't water down anything. 
And yet people on the outside were attracted to Jesus. They loved Jesus. And so I get the thinking of, well, if we're standing for truth, people are just gonna hate us. They didn't hate Jesus. And we are the body of Christ. We are to represent Jesus on planet earth. The reality is, and I, if you don't believe me, my hope is to convince you over six weeks. I wanted to do this for 10 weeks and our program team is like, you can't go 10 weeks. So for six weeks, we're gonna talk about this. That the issue is not culture. The issue is a brand of Christianity. In a lot of cases, it looks nothing like Jesus. And the reality is, part of our problem is, as, and I'm broad brushstrokes, we have held on to things that hold us back in terms of thinking and mindsets that actually, in some cases, Jesus came to abolish and to overthrow. And yet, our consciences are hardwired to realities that are not actually reality. And so this is why if you are listening on radio, you're podcasting, you're tuning in, you're, you're physically in the house today. And some of what I already mentioned has been your experience, a negative view of Christianity, treated badly by Christians. I am so glad you are tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. And I have a ton of respect if you're here because it takes a lot of courage. But the reality for you is that you might discover that the things that bother you about Christianity should actually bother us. And they should have bothered us a long time ago. Because here's Christianity, think about this for a second. If you take any of this seriously, and if you don't, you can just kind of listen in and pick and choose what you wanna apply. But if you're a, a Christian, follower of Jesus, this is Christianity's irreducible minimum. That Christianity is simply a movement of people who follow a teacher sent from God to clear the way to God. That's what Jesus came to do. It is a movement of people who follow a teacher sent from God, we believe, to clear the way and to explain God to us. And what was his message? I want you to love God. I want you to love people and I want you to love your enemy. I want you to love God. It's very difficult, make no mistake, but it's also simple to understand. I want you to love God. I want you to love people and I want you to love your enemy. And the only barrier that should get in the way for outsiders in your community or city should be your loyalty to Jesus. Like the one thing that we should be willing to appropriately, not as idiots, but appropriately as whimsical people, offend people with is our loyalty to Jesus. That should be the only thing that's resistible. That should be the only barrier that would get in the way. I mean, you, you, maybe you know this, it's interesting. The whole term Christian, which I don't really like, and I'll tell you why, if you think that's blasphemous, that term is used three times in the New Testament. It was given by outsiders, not a term that the original you know, followers used. Outsiders who were describing people in this new movement gave them this, this term Christian as a derogatory term. And what they were emphasizing was their loyalty to a person, which they thought was crazy. They're loyal to this Jewish carpenter, this knockoff religious sect. And they gave them this derogatory term that's seen three times. And 2,000 years later, I think when people hear Christian, the last thing maybe they think of is loyalty to Jesus. Amen. They think loyalty to a denomination. They think loyalty to a style. They think loyalty to a political party. Unfortunately, they don't think loyalty to Jesus. It's why the better brand, the one you actually see in the New Testament that I think we should pick up, start using, is follower of Jesus. Disciple, because isn't it true? You can get away with all kinds of stuff hiding behind the term a Christian. You start talking about following Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, that is terrifyingly clear. All of a sudden, there's a bunch of stuff you can't get away with anymore when you talk about following Jesus. And you know what? For the first 300 years of this movement, 
They were persecuted for their loyalty to Jesus. Not what many of us think because they threatened ancient religion. They threatened the power of individuals who led these religions. They threatened the the Rome and the Jewish balance of power. But the reason they were persecuted was loyalty to Jesus. It wasn't hypocrisy. It wasn't because they were exclusive. It wasn't because they were judgmental. It wasn't because they were political. It's because they were so loyal to Jesus and the movement exploded. Like what, what if that was said of us? Like for real, for just a second. What if in wherever you live right now, your neighborhood, your HOA, schools that you're a part of, I don't know why you laugh when I say HOA, uh, the other things that you're connected with, like what, what if seriously like they, people knew about you, your neighbors down the street, and not, again, not because you were weird. There's that whole brand of Christianity. You're just a normal person, but it's like, they just live differently. I, I'm telling you, those people that are Christians or more accurately Jesus followers, you should work for as many of them as they can because they, they provide the best work cultures. They treat you well. You wanna hire them because they work harder than anybody, but they're not arrogant and annoying. Like the way they treat women is crazy. I mean, it's so good. They're generous to a fault. They're always involved in the community. They don't need to get the recognition. They're not about trying to seize power. They just give up power and serve people. But the only thing about those crazy people is they are so loyal to Jesus and they think Jesus is the son of God. And so I'm out on that. That's just crazy. What if that was said about us? Like, what if that was the thing? Here's the thing though, in all, and I have a lot of conversations, in all of my conversations, in all the deconstruction stories around faith that I get to hear, all the, the, you know, over coffee or whatever, as they talk about their journey, maybe away from faith, I have never heard that story one time. Maybe it's out there, maybe it's your story, but I have never heard the story along the way of somebody walking away because those Jesus followers were so loving, but their loyalty to Jesus, it was just too much. And that should be the only thing that's resistible. That should be the only barrier that gets in the way. I mean, think about it. If our, and don't take my word for it, my, I would love nothing more than for you to argue with me in your mind and then go read the New Testament. I would be so happy. Think about the brand of Christianity that Jesus introduced. I'm telling you, when we we get that right, it's almost irresistible. It is almost too hard to ignore or to not take seriously because who doesn't wanna be a part of a movement that puts others' needs ahead of your own? I mean, come on, your first marriage would have been different if that would have happened. Like who doesn't want that kind of, who doesn't want to be a part, who doesn't want to be a part of a movement where those people are not power hungry, they give up power. They lay down what they're, they have rights to for the sake of other people. Who doesn't want to be a part of that kind of movement? Who doesn't want to be a part of a movement that gives power to overcome temptation so you don't keep destroying the relationships in your life? Who doesn't want to be a part of a movement that has the answer for the regret of their past that they're carrying? Who doesn't want to be a part of a movement where God says you have a divine destiny over your life? And that's not something we believe just to feel better. We believe it because a dude predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off and he said it, we believe it. Who doesn't want to be a part of something that says you are accepted, you are loved regardless of your past or how you view you or what somebody else said about you. You are in Christ and you are made in the image of God. Who doesn't want to be a part of a movement that says following Jesus will make your life 
better. Not perfect, not pain-free, but it'll make it better. And following Jesus will make you better at life because Jesus is just better than anything you're gonna chase in this world. Who doesn't wanna be a part of that? The brand of Christianity that exemplifies that, that models that, is almost irresistible. But the reality is for a lot of people, that is not what they've experienced. That is not what you've experienced. What, what happened to us? Because there, there are some things that need to be rebranded, not, not deconstructed in the sense of just making something up, but, but returning to the new that Jesus originally introduced that still has the power to change communities and change cities and change the world to change nations, but not in the ways and according to many of the tools that we try to leverage, but according to the things that Jesus left us to say, this is what my people and my movement is supposed to look like. Amen. See, over time, I talked about this years ago, so I'm gonna go real quick on this part of it, but uh, there's a brand of Christianity that just kind of morphed from the ancient like Persian, Egyptian, um, you know, ancient Jewish religions. And there's things that we picked up on that literally Jesus stepped into first century culture to go, no, 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 all of those are done with. In fact, every ancient religion, study it for yourself, they have kind of three or four things in common. Here's the three I picked out. They always have sacred places. They always have sacred texts or oracles. And there's always sacred men. Every ancient religion was centered around this. There's a sacred place and the sacred place is special and this is where God resides and it's like, and whoever controls the place and controls the text controls the people. And then there's, there's you know, sacred men in, in ancient religion and honestly into 2023 in most denominations, it's always men, always sacred men. And they go and they speak to God and they go into the holy place and God tells them and then they go and tell the people and they interpret the sacred text for the people. And whoever is in that position has a ton of power because if you control the building and you control the text, you control the people. And anytime some, I'll talk more about this later, but anytime somebody comes back with a, I'm God's special man and I heard from God and God told me, do you know how much abuse and manipulation has followed the statement God told me? I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll come back to that in a second. But this is what ancient religion looks like and you know that that is alive and well today to where there's a select group and they hold the keys to exclusion, exclusion and heaven and hell and who's in and who's out. And typically, that brand of Christianity, for many of us, grants extraordinary power to those sacred men, it's always men, sacred places who determine the meaning of the sacred text. And I'm not gonna fully explain this right now, but I'll just guarantee you, that way of thinking that may be subtle to you, you're like, well, what's wrong with that? That way of thinking has led to many of the cultures in the Jesus movement that are insider-focused, that are homogenous, that are judgmental, and ultimately take the text and they weaponize it. Yep. And the Bible becomes a bat. Yep. But it shouldn't be that way. And Jesus shows up and the arrival of Jesus, I can't overemphasize this, signaled the beginning of something that was brand new. A completely different brand of religion and connection with God than the world had ever seen before. And he, he gathers all of his followers and he says, I want you guys, I'm about to leave planet earth. I'm gonna give you the spirit of God. I'm gonna be with you, but I'm about to leave and I want you to leave Jerusalem and I want you to go to every ethnic group in the world. And here's, what, here's basically what Jesus' message. No more sacred places. Because Jesus would introduce something brand new that we need to catch up to. Jesus would say, no, 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 you're sacred. You're sacred. 
You're sacred. And don't be confused. When you, are, when you are having your feet planted on the place that you think is the holiest, most sacred place in all of planet Earth, do not be confused. The person to your right and the person to your left is more sacred than any plot of dirt or any building you will ever enter. Now, it is a brand new movement that says there are sacred people, not sacred special people who hear from God, but now everybody who's been in invited in. If they're in Christ, they have equal access to God. And now the people around you matter more than any building is ever going to matter again, because you are made in the image of God. No more sacred places. No more sacred, special men, people, men and women who somehow have this special connection and relationship with God. And they're gonna tell everybody, I'm just telling you real quick, I don't wanna rail on this too much and I don't wanna overly, you know, unnecessarily offend. This is just a big problem. This is a big problem and it is alive and well in so many of our church cultures. Let me shatter some of your theology. I don't have any special connection with God beyond I'm as close to God as I wanna be. Meaning I've been, I've been given access to God to have intimacy, to have a relationship, to connect with him, but you have been given all that same access. You've been given all those same rights. You have that same invitation. And I'm just telling you, it is such a dangerous thing of this culture and theology that says there's some kind of special people who have a special connection with God and God's gonna specifically talk and tell them and then I'm gonna come tell you. I'm just telling you, it is ripe for abuse and manipulation. And it is not the movement that Jesus introduced in the first century. The movement Jesus introduced saying, no, 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 no longer is there a great, the great high priest is Jesus. There's no longer a need for an earthly priest. You don't need an inter intermediary. You don't need a go-between. At the cross, the curtain to the temple was torn to signify to the world. Now you can go into the Holy of Holies. You can talk to God. You have equal access to God. There is no special people. There is just us and there is Jesus and everybody has been invited in. And that's the movement that Jesus introduced in the first century. In the sacred text, the Old Testament specifically, would be fulfilled, Jesus would say, with a single verb. Everything would be brand new. Here's how I know this, just real quick. I'm gonna go through a bunch of theology, but I'm gonna, if 9 a.m. is any indicator, I'm gonna go real fast. But Jesus stands on a hillside with his followers. And, and we just looked at this last series, so I'll go through this part real, real fast. But Jesus predicted a brand new movement. And I, I, just, I just want you to pay attention to this for one second, because this is, this is a big deal. He looks at his guys and said, what's the word on the street about me? And they're like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're a reincarnated, you know, Elijah, they had all kind of ideas. And then Jesus turns to Peter, he's like, Peter, who do you, like, what do you think, man? And Peter's like, I believe, this, this is a dramatic moment, man. I believe that you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, man, you didn't come up with that on your own, God gave you that. And then he turns to Peter. Man, how these words would change the world. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, or literally this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm gonna build my, the original Greek word, my church, my ecclesia. And the gates of hell and death are not gonna be able to overcome it. And the original Greek word, ekklesia, you've heard me talk about this, meant gathering, meant assembly, meant movement of people, which is, I'm not splitting hairs, it's a big deal. 
because Jesus never predicted another sacred place. He predicted a movement of people in every generation. It was William Tyndale that actually came along and accurately translated it, and he won burning at the stake for doing that because he translated in the first English translation, he actually translated it correctly to a version of assembly, gathering, congregation, but it angered all of the religious people because as soon as you start to undermine their sacred places and their sacred positions, they lose all of their power. And so they burned William Tyndale at the stake and then they retranslated it from a German word that ended up in our English Bible's church that literally meant sacred place, which is a tragedy because when many of you think church, you do not think movement of Jesus. You think of a place. Jesus never promised and predicted a new sacred place. He predicted a movement to the world available to everybody where everybody had equal access to God and then he promised them and wherever you go, I'm gonna be with you. He predicted a brand new movement. And the second thing is he introduced and instituted a brand new covenant or brand new arrangement with God. Like before, and I just touched on this, they had a high priest. They had a guy that they had to go to and he was gonna be the intermediary to offer sacrifices. And are we good with God? And have we come to the temple enough? And is my goat, you know, is he, you know, is on point and all of the things that they needed to do and all the boxes they needed to check. And then Jesus shows up. He's like, I'm, I'm establishing a new covenant, a new arrangement, and the old approach to God, I can't emphasize it, it's over. Which meant a new approach to God was coming. Direct access to God and no more sacrifices, no more checklists, no more if I do this, this, and this, then God were cool. A brand new covenant. Unlike the, the ancient is, um, covenant with the Jews that was basically pre-quote, quid pro quo. If you do this, then I'm going to bless you. And Jesus comes along, no, no, I'm doing something brand new, completely different. And Luke records it when Jesus was in the upper room and he's with all of his followers. And within hours, he's going to be betrayed and crucified. And in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. And they're like, well, we have a covenant with Israel. And Jesus is like, there's a new one. I'm replacing that one. I'm giving you a new one. This new covenant in my blood. And to be honest, in that moment, they really had no idea what he was talking about. And then hours later, they would be eyewitnesses of him on a cross being crucified. And in that moment, it would dawn on them. This guy is the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. Specifically, when he walked out of the grave alive. And this is a brand new covenant that says, no longer is it what you do and then God's gonna bless. And if you, then God will. And what are the checklists that changes with each denomination and each generation and each area of the country? No, no, no. Now it's just all about Jesus. And the new covenant said that Jesus' blood was shed for all of you, your sin, past, present, and future. One sacrifice, one time for all of humanity. As I say all the time, even if you face plant to the end of your life, if you place your faith and trust in that covenant, Jesus shed blood for you, died on the cross, lived a perfect life, walked out of the grave alive, you will stand in celebration before your Savior, complete, whole, and worthy, because no longer is it a covenant based on what both parties do. This is just a covenant based on what one party did. That was Jesus, and it settled it for all time. Amen. Jesus introduced a brand new covenant. And then Jesus introduced, you guys still with me? You're so quiet. If I don't make you laugh, you get really serious. Jesus introduced a new meaning to the sacred text. I just don't even have time to fully unpack this, but this is such a big deal. 
Matthew records it. Jesus says these words. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them. This is such a big deal. I've come to fulfill them. This is so huge. I'll come back to this later in the series. But our misunderstanding of this even one point is one of the big reasons why the church in our culture looks nothing like Jesus. Because Jesus came and he claimed that the entire Old Testament funneled down to him, him as a person. He prophesied that the entire Old Testament, all of the prophecies were about him. Basically, he comes along to go, listen, I'm fulfilling the Old Testament law. It all pointed to me, all of it ends with me. Basically, the Old Testament was a directional sign that pointed to Jesus. It tells the story of how we got here, that for hundreds of years, they were waiting for a long-awaited Messiah, and God raised up a nation, and he made a special covenant with them, and they waited to the Messiah to be birthed, and then Paul comes along to go, no, no, he's exactly right. That, that basically the Old Testament was guardrails to get everybody to Jesus, to point everybody to Jesus. Literally, it was like a tutor showing the way to Jesus is where it at. The whole 10 commandments were about, you can't measure up, you need a savior. The 613 laws were basically, you can't measure up, you need a savior. It was all about Jesus. And Paul would come along to go, the, the Old Testament birthed, it was a cocoon that birthed the savior of the world who would come and fulfill the entire Old Testament law. Meaning the entire Old Testament is, I believe, inspired. It's, it's the word of God. It tells us the story, which is so unbelievably valuable of how we got to Jesus. But it had an expiration date. Jesus came along to go, I'm the fulfillment of all of that. And now I'm introducing something that is brand new. See, I'm gonna make light of this, but there's a seriousness to it. I I, kind of hate the thinking because so many people don't understand the dynamic between the Old and New Testament. They think that that the church has just kind of watered it down if they take this seriously to go, well, you just pick and choose. There's a bunch of stuff you don't do in the Old Testament. Of course, there's a bunch of stuff we don't do in the Old Testament because Jesus came to replace the Old Testament. It's why as much as I want to, I don't think about stoning my kids when they're rebellious. (laughs) Not because I'm just, well, I'm just throwing out the scriptures, no. Jesus introduced something that was specific for a moment in time, and then he came to go, I'm the final sacrifice for sin. I'm fulfilling the entire law, and I'm replacing it with a singular command that's gonna lead the way. I'm just telling you, I gotta come back to this, I don't have time. But in our current culture, the weaponizing of the scripture, the over-political where we confuse God with our political party, the idea that we need to somehow take back or we need to win some kind of culture war. Mark it down, go study it for yourself. It almost always involves Old Testament passages that have nothing to do with us. Like I just, I probably shouldn't go this hard, but I'm going to because I'm here. But listen, I love the verse. If we humble ourselves and we pray and God's gonna heal our nation, that's probably, that's a good, that's probably transferable at some level. That verse was not written to you or to us the United States. That verse was written to ancient Israel. And it was a specific promise for a specific time. I'm going to go all in here for a second. You might pray and you might plead with God and you might humble yourself. 
in your nation, whatever nation that might be in history around the world, might end up being on the ash heap of history as just part of God's plan to usher in a kingdom that is going to be greater than every other kingdom, a kingdom that he's going to rule and reign forever because his promise was never nation specific. It was a promise for the entire world. And then Jesus gave brand new meaning to Passover. And I can't overemphasize what a big deal this was. I don't even know how to put this in our terms. Like this is like Billy Graham when he was alive. Some of you don't even know who Billy Graham is, which is kind of disheartening to me. Not because like you should, it's just that I'm that old. But Billy Graham, who's no longer um, alive. It's like if at Christmas, and Billy Graham is amazing. I've been at Christmas all of a sudden one year, he's like, man, from now on, we're just gonna celebrate my birth. He'd be like, what? Like that was the emotional reaction when Jesus, again, was with his followers in the upper room right before his crucifixion. And Luke records it. Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. And obviously he's in the room, so this is symbolic. This is my body. And they're like, ah, Jesus, we've been celebrating this for 1400 years to this point. And it's never been your body. (laughs) And Jesus like, no, 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 we're just gonna have a new meaning. (laughs) Which is you're either crazy or you're a guy who predicts your own death and resurrection and pull it off and then it's like, oh no, he changed Passover. <laughs> this is my body given to you. And from now on, you're gonna do this in remembrance of me. And I gotta think, this is me making this up, but I gotta think, you know, followers in that room that night are like, Jesus, we have been so patient. Like we have been so understanding. Come on, are you serious? You're replacing Passover and making it about you? Because at this point, they're like, you're not Moses. Who have you saved? Jesus is like, just wait. <laughs> Who have you delivered? Hang on. Because Jesus in this moment was making a dramatic point that he is introducing something into the world that the world had never seen, that the arrival of Jesus signaled the undoing of the temple brand or the Old Testament brand, whatever you want to call it, and the beginning of something entirely new. No more sacred places, no more sacred special men, now a movement to everybody and a sacred text that is inspired and was fulfilled by God and now all of it funnels to Jesus and it all is summarized in one command command that will be applied to God, your neighbor, and your enemy. And they took that serious in the first century, and it changed the world. And then over time, a bunch of other thinking and ideas and ideology got mixed back in. And all of a sudden, the Jesus movement looked nothing like what the Jesus movement intended. But I'm telling you, it's why it is so resistible and there are so many barriers in our culture and it's why we need to undo or rebrand some of that. Because in this moment when Jesus rebranded Passover, this is really what he was saying. I just want you guys to know, I cannot express this enough. You're about to see it at Pentecost when everybody starts speaking in different languages in this city. This is a movement for everyone, everywhere, a part of every nation for all time. That's what the Jesus movement is all about. And it's all about me. I've come as the final sacrifice for sin so that everybody could have equal and direct access to me. And then final thing, he instituted a new movement defining ethic. No longer a law, not because we don't take the law seriously. The law had a purpose in a moment in time to let people know that a savior was coming. No more 10 commandments. Instead, Jesus would be in that upper room and he would look at his followers and he would say a new Greek word, kenos, remarkable, strange. A new command I give you. I want you to love one another. 
And then this is the kicker. This is the thing that distinguished it from anything that they had ever experienced. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Basically. Jesus in that night, this is what the whole movement's gonna be about. And you guys are gonna forget this over the next couple hours because you're gonna be scared to death and I'm gonna die and you're gonna freak out. All of you are gonna stop following me and then you're gonna reignite after the resurrection and then, then it's game on and it's gonna change the world. But as you get to those places and it's all dramatic and there's so much fear and so much worry and so much uncertainty, I just don't want you to forget this. This is what this new movement is gonna be all about. I want you to ascribe so much value to people who are made in the image of God that you would, never un, you would never intentionally hurt them. Amen. In every generation, I want you to ascribe so much value to people who don't think like you, that you go out of your way, not just to not hurt them. I want you to go out of your way to love them. I want to love your enemies because I'm about to die for mine. I want you to ascribe so much value to people that even the individuals that, that just look nothing like you, don't think like you, don't view the world like you. I don't want you to not just not hurt them. It's a bigger standard, higher bar. I want you to love them. I want you to ascribe so much value to your ex that you find a way to forgive them, maybe not have a relationship with them, but love them. I want you to ascribe so much value to that crazy neighbor down the street that when people spot the Jesus followers on your block, there's something different about how you, I want you to ascribe so much value that you would never blast somebody on social media. I want you to ascribe so much value that you would never take public figures that somehow you think don't have a soul because they're disconnected to you over a screen and that you would never talk badly about them because you're a follower of Jesus. And in this night, in this room, this is the one value that's gonna lead the way. I want you to ascribe so much value to other people that you love them the way I'm about to show you you're to love them. That'll change the world. And then you've heard me talk about this a lot, but it's worth Recognizing again, he gets up, takes off his robe, sign of his rabbinical authority to let him know, I'm just, I'm, I'm placing myself to where you guys are. In fact, I'm placing myself below you because he gets on his knees, begins to wash their feet. Basically, he does in that room what nobody else was willing to do. And his message was, whenever you're ready to wield power, whenever you think you're a big deal, Whenever you think somehow because you're a follower of me, you're better than somebody else and you're gonna win back the culture, I just want you to remember this night. Because verse 35, he turned to them, by this, everybody is gonna know that you're my disciples if you believe all of the right theology. Now, if you love one another the way that I've loved you, love is gonna replace law forever. Because the law is how low can you go and still be okay. The new Jesus movement is how can I love in ways that are uncommon and unnatural and countercultural. Now self-sacrifice is gonna replace animal sacrifice. And the vertical is gonna be replaced by the horizontal. Meaning ancient religion and many of the religions and denominations you grew up with was you can create a whole insulary system where it's just you and God. And based on, again, your denomination, your tradition, your area of the country, everybody has different lists, but it's like, oh, I did a quiet time and I attended whatever. I threw a stick in the fire. We went to youth camp. I sang the song, got young and free, did whatever. Love my theology. I believe all the right stuff. God, we good. 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 And then you can do all of the checklists 
You can wire your conscience around it where you think you're close to God and then you can treat people however you want and you think yeah. there's no correlation. And in this moment, Jesus is going, no, no, I'm ending that kind of religious system and game. Now, the authentication and the demonstration of whether you love me is gonna be how you love other people around you. And Jesus would take it so far, he would say this, if you're at the temple and you've got your sacrifice and it's a long line, so you don't wanna get out of it and you realize that you've got something against your brother and sister, some other individual, your neighbor, I want you, this was a big deal for them, to leave your sacrifice and go fix it. God can wait. Because now, if you love me, you check the boxes all you want. That's great. We'll give you a golf clap. Thanks for doing your quiet time. That's all about you and God and drawing closer to God and you should do those things. But if you want to know the authentication and the level of your love for God, you need to look no further than how you are loving other people you are in relationship with now. The horizontal, God, are we good? God's going, we're good as soon as you're good with your brother and sister, yeah. you're right and to your left. That's why I came. That's why I died. That's my new move movement to the world and you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple unless you love other people the way that I've loved you. And it's why the question, are you a Christian? I think that means nothing. I think in our culture, just you can hide behind that and you can get away with a million different things that look nothing like Jesus. I think the question is this, is what Jesus has invited us into. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you following Jesus? And we don't get to make up what that looks like. Jesus already defined it. Are you a follower of Jesus? Because the new brand Jesus introduced was not about sacred special places and sacred special men who hear from God and go tell everybody else. And whoever controlled the sacred place and the sacred text could control and manipulate the people. No, no, no. Now, it's a movement around one defining ethic Love other people the way that I have loved you. Now, there's just a bunch of sacred people, all made in the image of God, that all have equal access to God, who've been called to fully follow Jesus. One defining characteristic that leads the whole movement. And so for the next, now five weeks after this, we're gonna look at this. And I hope you will not miss next week. And here's my goal in the series. My goal is to be an equal opportunity offender but I want to bother you just like I want to bother me because as I read the gospels over and over again, I constantly get bothered by ways in which my following Jesus doesn't match up. I want to, I want to challenge you. And in some cases, I hope to inspire us. And I just want to say this as I get ready to close for some of you, if your experience from other people who represented Jesus or Christians or the church has been judgmental, homophobic, hypocritical, political, thinks that they're the only ones going to heaven, secretly relish the fact that everybody else is going to hell, the way most in our culture view us. Can I just tell you, and I mean this as sincerely as I can, I am sorry. I'm sorry that that has been your experience with the movement of Jesus, with the brand of what Jesus introduced in the first century. And I'm not gonna talk you out of what you feel because it's what you feel. And if I had seen what you've seen or had somebody do to me what has been done to you, I get it. But my hope for you is that you would give Jesus another look because it's possible despite how Jesus has been represented to you that he is in fact the son of God 
who came to do something that nobody else could do. And he verified and authenticated his life by his resurrection. And there really is life and freedom and forgiveness that's found in him. Because if the Jesus movement had stayed on brand, you wouldn't feel coerced. You wouldn't feel like we're trying to impose our way of life on you. Week three, don't miss it. You would feel drawn, just like people felt with Jesus. You wouldn't feel coerced. And you may feel guilty every once in a while because of how those Jesus followers live, but you would never feel condemned. And if we loved the way that Jesus called us to love, I'm telling you, the message of Jesus, the movement of Jesus would be almost irresistible. So you guys pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment, for what you're going to do in these coming weeks. And God, I pray for me first that I would humble myself before you, that I would open my hands, I would let down my defenses. And that as we look at you, at, at your words, at the gospels, at what you modeled, that God, you would challenge my own heart about all of the ways that there is a deficit, there is a gap between who I am and what I represent and who you are and what you've called me to. And I pray that for hundreds of other people. And I pray that you would lead us into this place to fully embrace, no matter how uncomfortable it is, to fully embrace what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.